0: How is everyone? Hey, for those that got prayer last week, for those that were here last week, anyone um, have a shift in what they got prayed for, just out of curiosity? Yeah? Are you able to share? Would that be okay? Yeah, where's the mic? Well, well, it's disappeared. Come up, Faith. Last week, we uh, ran ran around like Italian cooks and anointed people with olive oil. And um, we prayed for people, so I I don't, I don't know what it was, but maybe just share. It's, it's nothing super big, but. So we're super big. It's God. <coughs> <laughs> um, so I had this majorly painful, excessively itchy rash, like that just covered my entire body after I got a massage, and I wasn't sure what it was—an allergic reaction or whatever—but it was like to the point where I nearly wanted wanted to go to hospital. But then after I got prayer that. The bump subsided and then I'm not itchy anymore. Come on. The no itchy girl. Anyone else had a shift that received prayer? Cool. It's always good to share a testimony because it changes and shifts and lifts the level of our faith. Our foundation changes. So now when one of us walks through poison ivy or gets bitten by something or has a, a really uncomfortable massage legitimately, and we end up in some rash. It's not about can you pr- pray and then there's a hope, a hope I'm healed. It's man, I know God does it. My foundation is now there, He's done it before. So, yep, and you just step into that. Yeah, it lifts our, lifts our faith. So it's always good to share testimony. Amen. Ah, last week, last week, last week, for those that were here, I continued and was speaking about God's desire for us is His very best. And we had an interesting conversation around our uh, friendship group, um, uh, the young adult friendship group this week. Because what I was suggesting and what I was saying was that I was looking at the parable of the sower, the 30, 60 and 100 fold. And I was saying that God's best for us is 100 fold. Yeah. Now, some of the confusion or some of the dilemma for some of us, because of the world that we live in and the culture that we live in, We now want to strive to reach this hundred percent. Yeah, but it's not about striving. This hundredfold is what God has for us. Now the 30 and the 60 or the 10 and the 20 and the 70, whatever it is, is actually what you're producing with what God's given you. Yeah, it's your response to Him. It's really good stuff, and God is stoked. God's not more happy with the person that's producing 60fold compared to the person that's Producing 30. It's not a run on a ladder. But what it is, when we understand God's best for us, what we know is whether we have much or whether we have little, in God there's always more. So 30-fold is excellent. You're walking with God. His desire is for you to walk in 100-fold. So it's not for you to be disappointed or upset about it. It's just knowing that and in the process of walking out your faith, you become more and more like Christ. You actually mature in your faith. It's like teaching your kids to swim. Yeah, you put them in water that's really shallow. And then as they get more confident, your desire is that they'll swim in deep water, isn't it? But you're not going to throw them out there, but it's still your desire. You want to see them do the full-on freestyle, backstroke, breaststroke, whatever it is. And so bit by bit, as they get confidence in that, they step into deeper water. And so, everything about God's best is it's already given to us. It's just walking in it, and it's a process and it's time. It's not to be jealous of those that you feel as though are further along in their faith or stronger in their faith, etc. It's not to be disappointed with where you find yourself at, because whether you're walking shallow water or deep water, it's all faith, yeah? Whether you're producing 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold, you're producing, and God is stoked with you, like he's over the moon, ecstatic, and happy for you. Because he's God, he's just saying, hey, there's more. You've got to understand this wording. God's desire is his best for us. So that's not your best. It's not my best. It's his best. And the minute that you think you've got a hold and an understanding of what God's best is, He's about to blow that out of the water and show you that there's still more. Yeah, You understand what I'm saying? So when we're talking about God's best, it's about encouraging us to know that no matter where we're at, God's got our back. No matter what we're going through, there's more and He desires more and He wants to pour out more. We just have to walk it out, the process of our faith. Amen? So I just wanted to share that because we had a really good discussion in our group, yeah? And some people were, were, were wrestling with, but I'm only at 30-fold. Well, wow, that's actually awesome. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's fantastic. This is not like getting A, Bs and Cs in class. This is a 30% return because of the way your heart has grabbed hold of what God's given you. And he's like, just, man, look at my child. They're awesome. And, and by the way, man... There's a hundredfold. There's still more, you know? So it's not that he's dragging you or he's upset. God just saying there's more. It's his best, yeah? All right. So is that okay? I just needed to lay a little bit of a foundation because with God, there are deeper depths. When you think you've gone super deep with God, he's about to freak you out because there's deeper depths. And when you think you've, gotten, you've got God all understood, and and you've grabbed him as wide as you can go, he's about to freak you out again because there's wider widths, yeah? There's higher highs with him because it's God. There's no beginning and there's no end. So the fullness of God can't be measured, yeah? He's best for us, can't be measured. So that should excite you to think, man, you know what? I'm really enjoying my relationship with God, but oh my goodness, apparently there's just so much more. Like it should be an exciting thing. It's like... Man, you've got 10 bucks in the bank, but you know that every time you take... No, even a better analogy than that. You know when you get that commercial, when you've got that that, that packet of Tim Tams, and every time you take one, it fills up again, and every time you take one, it fills up again, and then all of a sudden, you're right at the end of the pack, and you think, I finally got to the end of that Tim Tam limit, then it fills up again. That's God's best for us, yeah? So we should be a people that lives in that reality, in that truth, in that excitement, amen? The beauty is, he's already given it to us, which is what I love. And if we can understand that, like Adria shared, regardless of where we're at, there's a peace and a joy that accompanies us everywhere, all the time, 24-7. So before we get into today's word, let's pray. Father, have your way, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. amen. Cool. I want to look at the Beatitudes today. I want to continue to suggest that God's desire is his best for us, regardless of where we find ourselves, yeah? Regardless of what we're going through, he has this thing within him that he can't help it. He just wants to give us his best, like each and every one of us. Not the person that was born in a Christian family, not the person that gave their heart on their deathbed, not the person that's given up everything and sold all that they've had and given to the poor, His desire to give us his best is for each and every one of us, yeah? Regardless of color, body shape, intelligence, country that you were born in, language that you speak, regardless of any of that, he just wants to give you his best. So it'll be up on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to continue to encourage you to bring your Bibles, your tablets, your iPhones. It's good to read. It's good to take notes. It's good to make marks in your Bible and make it look like you've used it. I try to bring a different one every week so I can take different marks because some of them look too new and people think I don't read it. So I've got to bring ones that are a bit dirty and old sometimes. <sighs> so bring them. If you've got a Bible, bring it. If you don't have one, buy one. If you can't afford one, come and see me. Yeah, It's important to get the word into your spirit day in and day out because it just washes and cleanses our mind every time we're reading it. Amen. So Matthew 5 from verse 3, we're going to read, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work work for peace, for they will be called children of God. For those that are old enough to remember record players, it's like it just got stuck in a... He blesses those, he blesses those, he blesses those, he blesses those. You want to go up and move the needle, he blesses those. God blesses those who, are, who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. Verse 10, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. When I look at this, all I see is Father's heart. All I see is his blessing. All I see, every time I read this, I just think, you know what? God's desire is his best for us. Like just verse after verse after verse. It's just like he wants to pour it out. No matter where you find yourself, what you're going through, no matter what your feelings are, there's something still that I want to give you, you know? It's Papa's desire for us. So let's have a look at verse 3. I want to go through it a little bit, bit by bit. Is that all right? So verse 3 reads, God blesses those who are poor and realise their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The poor in spirit, the word poor there, is actually referring to absolutely stone dead broke. Not a brass razzoo in the bank. Not the ability to even buy a single uh, bread roll, let alone a whole loaf. It means you're so poor that you've got nothing. You are utterly and completely reliant upon the generosity of others. That's how poor. That's the poor. When you break it down to the Greek, that's what it's saying, yeah? And so this poor is saying you are stone broke spiritually. Like this, you in yourself, me in myself, we, we've got nothing nothing at all that we can actually purchase anything with. We are stone cold broke. It's, it's the place that you realise you can do absolutely nothing without Him. Yeah? Like, you just come to this realisation to think, you know what, I can't get up tomorrow without Jesus. I can't go to work tomorrow without Jesus. I can't go to school tomorrow without Jesus. I actually, I, Mel, I don't even know if I want to make a decision about dinner until I consult the Lord and see what He says. You know? It's like, I, I know I'm joking at that point, but it's, it's In everything that we do, we're completely reliant upon the Lord, yeah? We're so poor in spirit that without Him, we can't do anything. We can't even buy ourselves a smile, yeah? Now, I don't know about you, but has anyone ever woken up and you've just had the beep for the day? You know, like people say hello, and rather than saying hello back, you just rather say, hey, come here, come a bit closer so I can slap you, you know? Anyone had those days? Just me, you know? You, you, you get the, the energy and you go to the local cafe and you go, I'll have a latte and they give you the latte and you walk out of the shop and you take a sip and you taste it and it's like, if there weren't people here that know that I'm a pastor, I would throw this against the window of your shop. Anyone ever felt that? No, you know, just one of those days, Where you just, in your spirit, you're so poor that you need him, yeah? So it's in that place of despair that daddy says, hey, by the way, my desire for you is my very best, you know? And and Adria said it so well, I've been in this place for a few months, but right in it, God's saying, hey, for for you, my desire for you is, is my very best. Like, it's my best, I know you don't feel it, I know you can't see it, but my desire for you is my very best. But it's only honesty, vulnerability, yeah, with God at that point that allows us to grab hold of his very best. In in Luke 5, you won't have this, mate. (laughs) Jesus goes to the lake of Gennesaret and And he starts preaching. And in fact, what he does is he jumps onto a boat and gets them just to pull off the shore a little bit so he can share, you know. And the boys, Peter and the boys, had been out fishing for a long time. And so they were okay pushing out a little bit because Jesus was sharing a word and, you know, that was a good thing. But it says in in verse 4 of chapter 5 in Luke, it says, put out into the deep watch and let down the nets for a catch. And... And Peter Simon says, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Now, it goes on to say that, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. But you've got to live in the moment. They've been fishing all night. And somebody comes along and wants to use their boat. And so they're okay because it's the Messiah. They've heard of him, you know, they've heard him, they've heard his talk. No worries, you can use my boat. And then Jesus says, now let's go out fishing. If that was me, actually that, this is me. I think that is me. Because I'll get home and I'll just sit on the couch and Mel will say, and, and one of the boys will go, oh mum, I'm hungry. Is there fruit? And she'll say, yes, there's oranges or something. And they'll say, can you cut it? And she'll go, love, can you get up and do that for the boys? Now, Mel will tell you if I'm exaggerating. My answer is no, no way. They can get up and do it themselves. I just got home, I just sat down, I'm relaxing. They are big enough, old enough, and ugly enough to do it themselves. You don't have to jump at every whim. There's no way in the world I'm gonna do that. They can go and get. Beep. <laughs> but I know none of you here are like me, right? But Peter, I'm telling you, Peter would have been, are you serious? Are you, Jesus, are you sit? look at my hands from today and we've caught nothing. And our nets, our nets, they've only just started to dry and now you want us to go back out. Dude, I don't know if you understand, but I'm a fisherman and I know exactly what I'm doing and you don't have a clue, mister. You, your dad was a carpenter, cabinet maker. You, took, you played around with some hammers and nails. But you, when it comes to fishing, don't you tell me what to do. Yeah, now you've got to understand, Peter's a, he's a hothead. And he's like, there's no way. To, I can't believe he asked me. And then he has this moment, he goes, all right, no worries. So they push off. But then when he gets the oars into his hands, into the calloused hands with his blisters, and he starts pushing out a little bit, he's like, I can't believe I'm doing this. You're got to be joking. You know what? I can't wait to let those nets down because when they come up empty, I'm just going to say, Jesus, I told you so. Next time, stick to what you do and I'll stick to what I do. That's what was happening in the moment. And then in that moment, he lets his nets down. And in that moment, there's so much fish, there's so much blessing that his boat starts to sink. In that moment, there's so much going on that God so pours out so much that he's like, how did I ever doubt him? And if he's anything like me, then he's having a moment within himself. How could I doubt him? I can't believe I reacted like that. I can't believe I didn't help. I can't believe I didn't do it. I can't believe I didn't, just didn't say yes. But I understand this is just Peter and me. Yeah. But it's in those moments where we're so poor in spirit that there's nothing left on the inside of us, yeah, that he says, and in this place, I'm going to comfort you. Yeah? yeah? yeah. Because his desire is his best for us. Yeah. Look, like, it's just so good. He's such a good God. What about verse 4? God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. And let me go back just to say in verse 3, it wasn't so much the comfort but the kingdom of heaven that he gives us, you know. When we least expect it, when we least wanted it, Peter had a catch of fish that was the kingdom of heaven personified physically on his boat. You know, when we're going through the worst stuff, when we just have nothing left on the inside of us. Because you, get, you and I, outside of him, we're fallen, broken vessels. Outside of him, we were sinners. Outside of him, our citizenship is in the world. In him and with him, we're sons. In him and with him, we're daughters. Yeah? Heirs and co-heirs we think we're elevated to heavenly places. And it's when we realise that it's nothing about us, even in our everyday life, and it's all about him, the kingdom of heaven is ours. So verse 4 said, God blesses those who mourn. Have you ever asked the question when you've read that? What are they mourning? What are they mourning? It's not really specific, is it? What are they mourning? Are they talking people who are mourning death? They're talking about people who are mourning because they went out for breakfast and there was no bacon. You know? Are they talking about people that went out for a cup of coffee and there was only instant? That would be mourning. (laughs) Sackcloth and ashes stuff. Like, seriously, I'd be wailing, sacrificing sheep. (sighs) Oh, God, how could this happen? What are they mourning? And I want to suggest that the mourning Jesus is talking about is our weaknesses. It's... It's the sin that we've come from, and, and the sin that's in this flesh, yeah, you're going to understand the body that we live in, it's, it's dead. Our spirit is alive. And we're made more and more like Christ to the point where we go home to him, we get a new body, because this fallen, sin-filled, sin habit body can't, can't go to be with the Father. So we get a brand new body. So when he says it's morning, it's it's mourning about the sin that used to entangle us. It's mourning about the reality that, you know what, I am totally and I am utterly useless without him. Like all of us must get to the point somewhere in our walk and in our life where we realise, you know what, we're really good people, but without God, we're nothing. Without Him, we're just like everybody else. In fact, without Him, we're so bad that we're dying, perishing, and going to hell. Yeah? Seriously. Like, that's how bad we are. That's the black and white of it. You know, heaven, good with God. Hell, fire, damnation without Him. That's all of us. Yeah? Each and every one of us. So we're mourning the fact that without Him, we're useless. The problem for you and I, and particularly I'm going to say me, because of my Italian heritage, is pride. I don't want to tell people that I'm useless without Him. And in fact, I don't think I even want to tell God that I'm useless without Him. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes if you've ever heard God speak, sometimes He speaks to me to do something. There's some times that I just say, yeah, I got it, God. Yeah, I know it. I got it. What about that? I don't know what you're talking about. So God brings someone along to speak into your life so that they can get down and dirty to work something out. And it's, they start to sort of, you know, point something out in your life. But because of a little bit of pride, it's like, no, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm right. But really, we should be mourning. Yeah? See, Jesus is saying, Blessed are those that know that they're in trouble without me. And have the sense enough to admit it. Yeah? See, it's those people. They're the ones that will be comforted. See, there's joy that comes through the mourning. But you've got to mourn. You have to have a look at where you're at. You've got to do some inside you know, dwelling and seeking. And when we get to that place when we can admit that we have no other option but Jesus, when we can get to that place where, where we can admit that we have no other choice but him, he comforts us. Why does he comfort us? Because he's a good father. He wants to comfort us. He desires to comfort us. What parent in this place doesn't desire to comfort their kids? Your kid falls over, you know, it's an accident. As a parent, your heart goes out to them. You know, you want to comfort them. They're in the kitchen and they're doing something they shouldn't do and they burn their hands. Your desire is still to comfort them. But in our Western world, we've become so good and so stoic at looking after ourselves that sometimes we just don't open up enough to allow God, Papa, to come in and comfort us. Because when we allow him to do that, we actually are showing our weaknesses. We're actually saying, God, I'm nothing without you. I need you in my life. I need you to comfort me. So he's best. He just wants to give it to us. Even when we're at our worst, even when we feel terrible, even when we're hiding stuff, God's saying, let me in. My desire is my best for you. It's a shame that in first world nations, in our Western world, that so many won't allow Father to comfort them you know second corinthians chapter 12 in verse 9 says each time he said my grace is all you need my power works best in weakness so now i am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of christ can work through me that's why i take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults hardships persecutions and troubles that i suffer for christ for when i am weak then i am strong at the end of the day In everything we do, in everything that we go through, wherever we find ourselves in, his desire is his best for us. We just need to let him in. He wants to comfort us. Verse 5 of Matthew 5 said, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Man, it just feels like God just wants to keep pouring out more and more, you know. He's comforting us one minute. Giving up, giving us the kingdom of heaven the next. Now, now he's saying, by the way, I want you to inherit the whole earth. It just feels like for me that his desire is just to pour his best on each and every one of us. God blesses those who are humble. And the word humble here, some versions will use the word meek. Either way, the Greek translation is a gentleness and strength. goes hand in hand. You can't have one or the other. It's not just a gentleness and it's not just a strength. It's gentleness and strength. And we have to remember that his desire is his best for us. So I want to suggest that those that are humble, that are meek, are those that are available. You think about it. You think about Moses for a minute. You know, you've got the bush happening and all that sort of stuff and all things are going on and he's got this, this old staff and God says, why don't you drop it? And Moses would have been like, look, God, out here in the desert, you don't drop your staff. We don't put it down because we could be attacked by raiders. There could be a wild animal around the corner. The very thing that we don't do is we don't drop our staff. We need it to, to get up into the, higher, in, into the higher mountains. We do not, God, I'm just going to put it out there. I know you're super and all. and I've got the bush happening and it's freaking me out about the staff. I'm not dropping my staff. God says, drop your staff, Moses. So Moses drops his staff and it turns into a snake. Moses, at this point, I want to suggest, would have been like, are you serious, God? Do you know how many of these things I've got to kill? Do you know how many I run away from? Do you realise that this is actually really poisonous? And so I give you my staff and you give me a snake. What sort of God are you? And then God says, by the way, pick it up. Now, if you've ever watched... Anyone that does any sort of snake stuff or works with snakes, they always grab the snake. Really, they've got a stick going and all that sort of stuff, but they're trying to grab it behind the head at the end of the day. If they're grabbing the tail, it's only because they've got a stick to keep the head away. Moses is just his staff down and God says, pick up the snake. Oh, and by the way, pick it up from the tail, right? God must have been sitting there with his angels and the Son and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Check it out. He's freaking out. What else do you reckon we can do to Moses? Look, he's, look at the snake. We should have made it bigger. I know. Let's get, you know. I reckon it would have probably been the Holy Spirit. Hey, God, what about we tell him to pick it up from the tail? That'll freak him out. Watch this. So he says, Moses, pick it up from the tail. I'm like, come on. Are you joking? No way. And so we know the story that the minute he touches it, the tail, the thing goes hard and it turns back into his staff. What about David with Goliath? He takes five stones in a sling, yeah? And he actually drops this beast of a man that no one else can defeat, right? I read in a Max Licardo book, and he put it real, really well, because when Goliath saw David coming, he laughed. Scripture says that he laughed, it was, and he started to mock God, yeah? Max Licardo puts it this way, anyone who mocks God must have rocks in their head. How did Goliath die? Hey, How good's that? Come on. That's just brilliant, isn't it? So he picks up these rocks and this rock just hits this giant middle of the head, down gone. Forget about the whole chopping off the head. And then, you've got, then if you jump to the New Testament, you've got Jesus and you've got this guy that's brought to him that can't see. And so Jesus starts... Starts doing this. Here's a little bit of water. He starts twirling it around his mouth. Occasionally you even hear as he just clears the back of his throat a little bit. And the disciples are thinking, what is he doing? And he's still at it. And then our Messiah gets down to the dirt and he spits in the dirt. Then he takes his finger on a hand that he's probably going to put on someone later. And he starts to play with the spit in the dirt so that it makes mud. Now, I don't know about you, but that takes a lot of spit. Yeah? Just a little spray is not going to make any mud. Jesus was there for a while with water and anything else he could find. Yeah? Yeah? to make sure he had enough stuff to make the mud. Then what does he do? Now, I reckon again, up in heaven, the Holy Spirit's going, oh, this is going to be so good, Father. And he goes, oh, no, no, watch what he does now. Watch what my son does. And then he grabs that mud that he made with his spirit and he goes up to a person and goes, man, you go, let's fix this. And he rubs it into, like, seriously, if we did that today, people would jump over fences and start beating us. I, like, go out tomorrow and I want you to heal someone by spitting in the dirt, making some mud and wiping it on them and see how you go. The brilliance is with the staff and the stones and the spit, not a single one of those things spoke back to God and said, don't use me. Not a single one complained how they were going to be used. Not a single one suggested an alternative to how God could use them. They just allowed God to use them how he saw fit. This stick, a stone, and some spit. It's like the old saying, a canvas doesn't tell the painter how to make it beautiful. Does it, Grace? You know, Romans 9.20 reads... But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to one who formed it? What did you make? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? See, we can learn what it is to be meek and humble of heart by looking at the stone, the stick, and the spit, really. You know, the realisation of our weakness leads us to the source of strength. And that source of strength is God. It's got nothing to do with us. If we can remain humble and meek, Jesus tells us we're going to inherit the earth. Well, that's just brilliant, isn't it? Father God's desires is his best for us. We will inherit the earth. I mean, he's been wanting to give it to us for so long, hasn't he? He must... He must be getting frustrated. He must be saying, why won't they humble themselves? Why won't they just be meek? Why won't they do it? Why won't they trust me? Because in Genesis 1, in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female and created them. But verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. He's been trying to give us the earth since the beginning. And then now we're in the Beatitudes and he's saying, Listen, it's obviously not working. You're not picking it up. Let me give you the clue to actually, you know, inheriting the earth. Be humble. yeah, Because his desire is just to pour his best on us. And if we can understand that, it doesn't matter what we're going through. It does not matter because we know that there's a God who loves us, who has in himself a desire to pour his best upon us. He's a good God, a brilliant God. Verse 6 in Matthew, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. I'm going to read from a book "'Mummy, I'm so thirsty. I want a drink.' Susanna um, Petrisen heard her daughter's pleas, but there was nothing she could do. She and four-year-old Guyana uh, were trapped beneath tons of collapsed concrete and steel. Beside them in the darkness lay the body of Susanna's sister-in-law, Corinne, one of the 55,000 victims of the worst earthquake in the history of Soviet Armenia. Calamity never knocks before it enters, and at this time it had torn down the door. Susanna had gone to Corrine's house to try on a dress. It was December 7th, 1988 at 11.30am. The quake hit at 11.41. She had just removed the dress and was clad in stockings and a slip when the fifth floor apartment began to shake. Susanna grabbed her daughter but had taken only a few steps before the floor opened up and they tumbled in. Susanna, Guyana and Corrine fell into the basement with the nine-storey apartment house crumbling around them. "Mummy, I need a drink. Please give me something. There was nothing for Susanna to give. She was. Trapped flat on her back, a concrete panel 18 inches above her head and a crumpled water pipe above her shoulders kept her from standing. Fueling around in the darkness, she found a 24-ounce jar of blackberry jam that had fallen into the basement. She gave the entire jar to her daughter to eat. It was gone by the second day. Mummy, I'm so thirsty. Susanna knew she would die. But she wanted her daughter to live. She found a dress, perhaps the one she had come to try on and made a bed for Guyana. Though it was bitter cold, she took off her stockings and wrapped them around the child to keep her warm. The two were trapped for eight days. Because of the darkness, Susanna lost track of time. Because of the cold, she lost the feeling in her fingers and toes. Because of her inability to move, she lost hope. I was just waiting for death. She began to hallucinate. Her thoughts wandered. A merciful sleep occasionally freed her from the horror of her entombment. But the sleep would be brief. Something always awakened her, the cold, the hunger, almost often the voice of her daughter, Mummy, I'm thirsty. At some point in the eternal night, Susanna had an idea. She remembered a television program about an explorer in the Arctic who was dying of thirst. His comrade slashed open his hand and gave his friend his blood. I had no water, no fruit juice, no liquids. It was then I remembered I had my own blood. Her groping fingers, numb from the cold, found a piece of shattered glass. She sliced open her left index finger and gave it to her daughter to suck. The drops of blood weren't enough. Please, mummy, some more. Cut another finger. Susanna had no idea how many times she cut herself. She only knows that if she hadn't, Guyana would have died. Her blood was her daughter's only hope. This cup is a new covenant in my blood, Jesus explained. Yeah. Those who are thirsty and hungry... It's a dying of thirst. It's a dying of hunger. It's something that can't be satisfied inside of us. And then there's a father that says, my desire is my best for you. We're so thirsty and hungry that we feel like we're going to die, that we can't go on. It's a baby that's crying for their milk, that just doesn't know silence until they receive what they need. Nothing, nothing, nothing will satisfy us except him. Yeah, Nothing, nothing, nothing will fill us except Papa. It's a de- desperation that's born out of truth that we need a fresh slate, a fresh start. A clean conscience. And we're so hungry and so thirsty and all we desire is for this hand to reach down into our darkness to do what we can't to make us right. Only he can do that. Because it says for those who hunger and thirst for justice or righteousness, for Him, because He is our righteousness, they will be satisfied. Father desires His best for us. When we can be so hungry and thirsty, when we can be so honest and so vulnerable before Him, it says we'll be filled. I don't know about you, but I want to be filled all the time. You know, this truth as sobering as it is, it's actually life-giving. Because when we know that, that Daddy, his desires to pour His best on us. It doesn't matter where we find ourselves. We know we can always turn to Him. Sometimes we just need to make some room for Him. And Mel and I are forever saying to our kids, you can't eat the lollies, you can't have dessert, you can't have that, not before dinner. You'll be full. And sometimes to be filled, sometimes to be satisfied, to have our thirst quenched and our hunger, you know, filled or satisfied, we've got to let go of something. You know, verse 7 said, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You know, Daddy desires for us to have his best. And he makes this one simple. Those who show mercy to others are the ones that are truly blessed because they're the ones that are going to be shown mercy. It's really quite easy, isn't it? They're blessed because they're a testimony to daddy's goodness. You know, when we forgive others, it helps us to see and understand how God's already forgiven us. I mean, you know what, that's that's worth thinking about daily. That's worth thinking about before we go to bed. That's worth thinking about when we get up. The more mercy, the more grace that we give, the more we understand it. Because it's only as we forgive others that we begin to feel and understand what God felt when he forgave us, yeah? I love it. The Beatitudes is so a sample of God. So shows us his heart. You know, verse 8 talks about God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they'll see God. The pure in heart, the word pure is the Greek word katharos. It means, it means unstained. It, it, it actually goes on, and, and, and it's in context... It, it means without, without mixture, yeah? My mind goes straight to a mixed drink, you know? Be it a lemonade and cordial or water and cordial or for somebody else it could be a Baileys and milk or v- vodka and something, I don't know. But it's a mix, yeah? But a pure heart is one that's not mixed. There's nothing in the world that's tainting it there's nothing in the world that's, that's mixing with it. It's, it's pure, it's guiltless, it's innocent, it's upright. See, God wants us separated from, for him, yeah? And an unmixed heart's a pure heart. There's nothing that's fighting for your affection for God. And only you know if there are things in your life, in my life, that are fighting for our affection with God. Only we know. But that, that place of the pure heart says they will see God. Man, I love that. I love that. And I love it because of this. In Exodus, we know in the Old Testament that, that in the Old Testament God took, took Moses and placed him in, in the cleft of the rock and only allowed him to see his back because you can't see my glory, all of me. You can't see all of me because you'll die. But when we get to this place, yeah. When We get to this place where our hearts are truly mourning and understand that we're we nothing without Him. That we're so poor in spirit that we're we're holding on to Him with both hands. When we start to live in this place with God, it, it's different. We we don't come under the same rules anymore because now all of a sudden we're citizens of heaven. We're ambassadors. We're His sons and His daughters. And He says, "If you'll have a pure heart, you will see Me." If we were to stand with Moses now, He would be jealous. Of what we experience in God. Because God's desire is always his very best for us. I mean, that, that's exciting stuff. That means, man, I, I, I want to see what's competing in my heart. So that my heart's not mixed. So that it's pure. Because I, I just don't want to walk with God a little bit. I want to walk with God a lot. I just don't want to see his back like Moses. But I want to see God face to face. We're sons and daughters. God's desire is his best for us. Why don't we stand? So I'm looking at the time. I could go on with more, but... God's got so much for each and every one of us. And it's not a striving that we work for. It's already there. It's just knowing it's there. And then in the process of your relationship, we go from a strength to a strength, a glory to a glory. I believe personally that it actually, it it goes up, it improves, it gets better. Not because I'm trying harder, but because once I reach one level, then God says, here's more. Once I get to the next part, God says, here's more. This morning when we sang a particular song, the one that you mentioned, Adria, there was a shift in the atmosphere as we sang it. I don't know if you felt it. There was a shift There was a in our spirit. Our spirit just picked up. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to sing that song. But that's not the end of the service. It's not a time for coffee. It's not a time to go and get the kids. What it is a time for is to understand as we sing this song that God's desire is His very best for you. And so I want to challenge us all. As we sing this song, if you know, if you know in your knower That, hey, there are some times that I've not been able to see, God, your best for me. We need to sometimes step out of that thinking, yeah? That stinking thinking. Sometimes we've got to step out of that place and look at things afresh for the first time. I'm going to ask you just to come forward. Not so we can pray for you, not for that, but for this. You know what? God, you are the answer Man, I don't know why I'm thinking like this, but I'm going to keep my eyes on you. Man, I'm just I, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I know that your desire, your heart is your best for me. I'm going to step forward in faith and I'm going to live in this space and I'm going to live in this place and my heart will be right and at peace with you. I'm nothing without you, God. Without you, I am poor in spirit. I have so many weaknesses, but God in you, they, all of a sudden there are things that are becoming my strengths. And so I stand and I worship and I glorify and I praise. We're going to open up the altar to give you an opportunity to step forward. I'm going to step forward. Because you know what? I just desire to live in God's best every day. And His desire is to pour it out on our lives in Jesus' name. You know, As, as the song says this is a holy moment. going through God, but you are here with us now. So in this time, sing with everything that you've got and give it to God. Give it to the Father. Give it to Him. Amen.
1: With us now.
2: We thank you for the best, God. We thank you for your very best, God. We step into our Father. We open our arms to our Lord. We receive it wholeheartedly, God. Every child, every family member in your house, God, we receive it. We receive it for this house, God. We receive it for this community, Father. We receive it for this city, God, your very Best, God, we declare it over Ballarat. we declare it over Melbourne, we declare it over Victoria, Father we declare it over this country, your very best, nothing less God, nothing in between God, nothing short of your very best God thank you for your best we rejoice in your best we receive your best the best. We just walk away with your best this morning. we walk in tomorrow with your best and Tuesday with your best and this month with your best and this year with your very best. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have the best day. Have the best week. Have the best month. <laughs> Have a great day. We love you.